This afternoon we turn to Proverbs chapter 27. Proverbs chapter 27. Commence at verse 17. Proverbs 27:17. Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. Whoso keepeth a fig tree shall eat the fruit thereof. So he that waiteth on his master shall be honored. As in water face answereth to face, so the heart of man to man. Hell and destruction are never full so the eyes of man are never satisfied. As the finding pot for silver and the furnace for gold, so is a man to his praise. Though thou shouldest bray a a fool in a mortar among wheat with a pestle, yet will not his foolishness depart from him. Be thou diligent to know the state of thy flocks and look well to thy herds. The riches are not forever, and doth the crown endure to every generation. The hay appeareth, and the tender grass showeth itself, and herbs of the mountains are gathered. The lambs are for thy clothing, and the goats are the price of the field. And thou shalt have goats' milk enough for thy food, for the food of thy household, and for the maintenance of thy maidens. This has been a portion of God's word. Let us pray together. Please open our eyes, Lord, to behold wondrous things from your word. Thank you for the treasure of scripture. Please guide us in our thoughts and help us to not only understand the meaning of your word, but to know how to apply it and to practice it, Lord. Thy word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We pray in our Savior's name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, there are certain institutions, fixtures that arose at creation. Lord Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man. It wasn't made just for the Jew or just for the Christian, but it's a gift to man. And the Sabbath originated, you remember, at creation. God worked six days and rested the seventh and set it aside as a day of rest, a day of worship. Also, marriage was instituted at creation. God brought Eve to Adam. So, in a sense, we would not only say, the Lord had quoted exactly like this, like he quotes, the Sabbath was made for man. Marriage was made for man, and we consider that last week. Well, the third fixture or institution to creation was work. The Lord put Adam in the garden to... uh, to till it and to keep it, to guard it. And of course, he failed in guarding um, the garden of the enemy of the devil who came in and, and tempted Adam, or tempted Eve, and Adam and Eve fell. But in a real sense, work was made for man. Often, people do not think about work as a gift from God, but we were made a working people. We were, we were not made to, to, uh, to be sloths and sluggards and to just vacation our whole life. We were made to um, really Adam and Eve were, were uh, put in the Garden of Eden and their task was 
be fruitful and and uh, to uh, multiply and fill the earth. So the Lord planted a garden in Eden, and the rest of the world was uncultivated. And Adam and Eve were really to expand the Garden of Eden throughout the world. Of course, they failed, and, 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 and uh, weeds and thorns came, rust and so on, and sin came into the world. And so they were cast out of the garden, and we obviously see that even though after thousands of years um, of the fall of man, we find that the earth is still beautiful, but there are many vast wildernesses and wastelands. The world is not uh, the Garden of Eden as it could have been, should have been. I can't imagine what the new heavens and the new earth are going to be like, whether the Lord's going to have one particular area planted and fixed and he's going to have us uh, cultivate the rest of the world we're certainly not sure but uh, it's something to look forward to but so my message this afternoon is work was made for man it's a gift from God and we need to still see it that way even though it's by the sweat of our face and it's uh, difficult because of weeds and, and uh, thorns and, and uh garments and all kinds of uh, destructive bugs and, and uh, creatures and the elements and so on it still is a gift from the Lord it's a good work ethic that every person is to engage in is to develop and especially the believer because we have a, a new motivation motivation of pleasing God and uh, seeking to prepare for eternity and, and laboring to, to glorify God and to enjoy Him. We, we often stress the fact that, that on the seventh day the Lord rested and we stress the Sabbath and we should because it's a, a Sabbath desecrating society. But we forget the word six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. So we remember that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth to see in all deep places. So, work is is a commanded of the Lord, not just to keep the Sabbath holy, but we are commanded to uh, to labor and do our work in the six days. Obviously, He does not forbid vacations and, and times of, of recuperation and so on. But generally speaking, we are to engage in a good work ethic uh, throughout our lives. It's a forgotten command and precept again. In Proverbs 14.23 it says, In all labor there is profit, but the talk of the lips tendeth to poverty or penury. Which is so true, isn't it? You can you can talk your way into poverty, but we need to certainly put feet to our, our uh, profession and put feet to our labor and, and work with our hands and work with our eyes and work with our mouths and work with our feet. Even in the first chapter of Proverbs, and by the way, Proverbs is immense with verses about work and a good work ethic and many verses about the warning about being slothful and sluggardly. So I don't think we're going to be able to finish this message on work this afternoon. The very first chapter of 
we're, we're warned about avoiding dirty work, like robbery and theft. In chapter 1, verse 14, it says to warn about those who say, Cast in thy lot among us. Let us all have one purse. They're those that are greedy of gain. And throughout Proverbs, we're warned about associating with thieves and robbers and, and deceitful people. Chapter 6 and verse 30, uh, a thief, we might have compassion on a thief who steals to satisfy his hunger, but still, goes on to say, if he's caught, he still has to make remuneration. How much more, you know, when, when people uh, steal and rob, not because they're hungry, but because they're just thieves and robbers, and because of uh, antagonism toward their fellow man. And then there's an interesting verse in chapter 13, verse 11, Wealth gotten by vanity shall be diminished. The word vanity means um, something that's insubstantial. So there could be several angles of meaning to that. Wealth gotten by uh, risk-taking of a a very unwise venture. You're putting a lot of money toward someone a football team to win or something so gambling could be part of that application part of that focus but just uh, unwise risk taking with your uh, wealth is uh, something that easily could be diminished just making poor decisions about who you associate with in your business so all kinds of angles about the meaning of wealth that's gotten by vanity that shall be diminished and we need to be wise in our in our use of wealth and our wise in our associations with those that we do business with. But the focus, you know, the assumption is that we're to be working and seeking to have pay from what we're doing and making a, a good livelihood, taking care of our family and the kingdom of God. Chapter 3 and verse 9, early on in Proverbs, we're taught that we ought to honor the Lord with our substance and with the first fruits of all of our increase. Um, it's something that we need to learn that, that God is to get the, the first portion of what we earn. I remember after I was saved in West Virginia, I was uh, one of the ladies in church was a hairdresser. And, and I, for some reason, I just remember sitting in the chair having my hair cut and a couple of the men from the church were there I was only saved a very short time, and, and uh, I had a summer job when I returned to Syracuse, and, and I had never been taught to tithe, and we were just being challenged. And I said, "So I'm to tithe uh, the ten percent of what the actual of, of the of the net pay." And they, and they looked at me and said, "So you're saying the government gets the first the first uh, portion of your pay?" So they just challenged me that, you know, it's, it's not just that your net pay, but your gross pay. And I remember thinking, well, how can I afford to, to give 10%? And, the, you know, the challenge was, well, we can't afford not to because we're robbing from God, as it says in Malachi. But having said that, early in Proverbs, again, even in the, as, as vast as the subject of, of working and having a good work ethic, Right early on in Proverbs, it says, Be sure that God gets the first portion of your pay. He's your creator. He's your savior if you're a Christian. And uh, that's his word. And uh, just like he asks for one seventh of our week, he 
could have asked for six sevenths. He could have asked for ninety percent of what we of what we make. And God, in His kindness and and in His wisdom, has asked for has commanded one seventh of our week. And like Spurgeon said, how many people want to rob God of the Lord's day? And they want all seven days to themselves. And just the same, how often we want to rob God of our pay? And we only give Him token gestures when He's given us all we have. I mean, we can we we gain our our pay or our wealth from working by the sweat of our face, a gift, an inheritance, or investment. And uh, so often we forget the Lord, and He's the one that's given us strength. Think about the fact that just a a, a, a microbe could could give us give us a, a, a debilitating disease. You know, the Lord gives us the strength to wake up every day, and the strength to be able to exert you know, um, ourselves in our work. And so. Really, we need to remember it's the Lord that gives us the strength to work, that gives us favor if someone gives us a gift or an inheritance if we're left by some benefactor or He's the one that causes our investments to, to tank or to, uh, to, to appreciate. And so we remember that, that from A to Z, the Lord is, is in control of our, of, excuse me, of our lives. So there's all kinds of... of vast subjects about work related things that are in Proverbs and so that's why I have to take my time and there's no way I'm going to be able to finish this thought today now another caution is to avoid laboring to be rich there are people that set out to just get rich and the Lord warns about that Um, he, he reminds us that wisdom is better than merchandise Wisdom is a merchandise that's better than silver and gold. Chapter 3, chapter 8, several other passages. Matter of fact, wisdom. And wisdom is personified in Christ. Christ is the wisdom of God. So it's saying our relationship with God, our preparation for eternity, our, our spiritual state is more important and more valuable than any silver or gold or any wealth that we can accumulate. Because again, where we... Where do you take it when you die? There's a day when a person's going to have to die and he leaves it to someone else, but he can't take it with him. And, uh, you know, the rich man's wealth is a strong city, which is a negative and a positive thing, is buying power. But so often our riches can be a false security, as if they're securing us for eternity. But once a person dies, he leaves everything. Naked came I into the world, as Job said, naked shall I return. And so we need to we need to labor for the true riches. And like Jesus said, we're going to be rich toward God. And so Proverbs, which is a book about wisdom, you know, skill in in in, in uh, living this life, not only to be productive here, but to be prepared for eternity. We can we we don't. We're not surprised that work is a huge subject in the book of Proverbs. And you can find it in virtually every chapter some relationship to work, whether it's avoiding dirty work, dirty associations, you know, dirty partners, uh, deceitful and uh, un- unjust people and businesses. And uh, it's certainly t- reminding us <clears throat> the first thing is being rich toward God. Excuse me. Die pauper if you die lost. And uh, 
we need to prepare for eternity. It actually says in chapter 3, verse 16, that wisdom brings length of days and riches. So it's an interesting association that if you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, that all these things shall be added unto us. And the reminder in chapters 3 and 8 is that God labored to uh, produce the earth and the heavens. And He continues to labor. Chapter 3, verse 20, God labors in that the clouds drop down the dew, controls the rains and the uh, seasons of the year. So God is not some you know, watchmaker that has wound up the universe and sits back and just lets it tick. Jesus, like Jesus said, my Father works and I work. In other words, they're continuing to be active. And when Jesus healed that, that man on the Sabbath, he was saying, we don't cease to work. When it says that we're to rest, we, we do, just like we're taught about the Lord's Day, we do works of necessity, works of mercy, and works of piety. Uh, there are certain works we don't engage in, but we, we have many other kinds of works that are permissible and right. Uh, you don't see someone that, that has a flat tire that could use our help and say, sorry buddy, i got to wait till tomorrow. Or uh, you know, someone that's, uh, in a, that's had an accident or someone that is in need of going to the hospital or we, we take care of we, we look at people in need. Like Jesus saw people in the temple who needed healing. He didn't wait until the next day to do so. He said that that uh, the Sabbath was made for man. It wasn't man made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath is to be a to be used to benefit our fellow man, to benefit him spiritually, to benefit him uh, mentally, and so on. So we're reminded that it's God who labored, and we labor as an example. And you'll see that in chapters three, verses nineteen to twenty, and chapter eight, verses twenty-seven to twenty-nine. And he continues to labor, chapter 3 and verse 20, in that he takes care of the moisture and the earth and the sun that shines. And just God is, is the God of providence and is in absolute control of, of, of his creatures and all of our actions and all of the universe. He is a powerful and, and wise God. And so when Jesus said, I work and my Father works, the Jews said that they said he blasphemed because he called God his own father. But they didn't realize that Jesus was the Son of God that became man. And he had a unique relationship to God that you and I don't have. That's why Jesus teaches us to pray our Father, though it's not technically wrong for an individual Christian in prayer to say my Father. When Jesus said my Father, the Jews recognized that he was saying something that was totally unique compared to uh, man's relationship with God. And that's because indeed he was the Son of God. God is indeed a trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now there's there's another section of Proverbs and other verses that talk about benefactors and employers. There's an interesting uh, couplet in chapter 3. And again, the reason why we're leaning heavily on God's teaching it's because His Word and His Word has authority and underneath are, is, the, is the truth of God's is, is unique is, is inspired is inerrant 
His infallible Word. So that's why we continue to go to the Scriptures for infallible teaching. In chapter 3 and verses 27 and 28, it says, Withhold not good from them to whom it is due, when it is in the power of thine hand to do it. Say not unto your neighbor, Go and come again, and tomorrow I will give, when thou hast it by thee. An interesting couple of verses. Now, it, obviously you can't be dogmatic about the exact application because there is some ambiguity to it and there are, there are passages that it purposely are ambig- ambiguous because you can have several angles of thought. Just like wealth gotten by vanity. What exactly is vanity? There are different kinds of vanity that will cause your wealth to diminish and so it's ambiguous but you can apply it in obvious cases of what you know, vanity is whether it's you know, undue risk taking or, or a, a vain a vain um, matter as far as your business is concerned so here who is it that is not to withhold good from them to whom it is due and who is the one that good is due so you can see that there, you have to look at both sides if you look at it as employer employee then it's saying obviously don't hold back the pay of your employee because he's due that good because he's worked for you he's, he's, he's fulfilled his obligations and so the warning is unduly withholding pay when that person is due. Now I understand we make agreements with our employers who paid once a week or once every two weeks or once a month, whatever. But in that society, they needed basically their pay every day. They talked about days wages in those, you know, in, in those days. People were living hand to mouth. And whatever reason, an employer might withhold good because, well, he's, he, he, needs, he needs to get interest from his money. So rather than paying out an employee on time, he was holding back to gain interest. And the Lord warned about that unrighteousness, the, the self-centeredness of people. And there's nothing wrong with investing. But when you invest to the hurt, to the demise of, of someone, and that's unrighteous. And so that certainly applies the, the employer-employee um, relationship. But there's also the relationship of someone that you see is in need of your help and you can help them. Instead of saying, well, I'll help you tomorrow or I'll help you later, it says, if it's in your power, if it's in the power of your hand to do it, don't withhold good. And the second verse especially, say not to your neighbor, go and, I'll, and, and, and come again, and tomorrow I'll give when you have it by you. In other words, the person's asked for something to borrow or asked for you know, a gift or whatever, he's in need. And we have the ability to, to supply that need and for whatever reason, you know, come back tomorrow when we know they need it today. And so uh, when the Lord gives you an opportunity, it obviously puts it in our lap that we can help this family, we can help this individual, we can help in this situation. And obviously it could apply to the simple fact you're out on a country road and someone's in a ditch. Well, it's easy to say, well, I'll wait for somebody else to come along. But... I know in our day the safety issues and dangerous people. I understand those things, and we have to be careful. Um, you know, if someone is 
behind you and they purposely hit you to get you to stop and come out of your vehicle. You know there have been multiple cases where uh, bad people on purpose will hit the back of your car in order for you to pull over, especially if it's in an isolated area, and they'll attack you and rob you and even kill. That's, that's, those have been many documented cases. But I'm talking about the average... When you're out in the country and somebody is, is in a ditch, and it's a snowy day, and we have an ability. You know, I've got a truck and we've got a rope and you know, we've got a couple men in the car, whatever. We have an opportunity. It's due. It's like the Lord taught the parable of the Good Samaritan. The three people that were passing by, the Lord was saying, they owed their help of the man that was robbed and and, uh, left for dead. But two of them went on the other side of the road and just bypassed him for whatever reason. He doesn't give the reason, but there are many reasons. I don't want to get dirty. Maybe there's somebody going to rob me. You know, there's all kinds of reasons that we can excuse ourselves from helping people when it's in our, when when it's opportune for us to do so. And we need to be observant. I remember when I was, was going visiting with uh, Don Cornwell years ago in West Virginia he would continue to say be observant, be observant you know, when we're visiting you be observant of people you could help or be observant of situations or be observant of, of beware of dog signs you know, those can just keep, keep alert because you certainly want to protect yourself against danger but also you want to ready yourself to help somebody that's in need for instance, if you're visiting someone and you see they have a broken chair or a fence that needs painted or whatever, or you see that they have a need of, of, of something, that we're, if it's in the power, if it's in our power, we can help, we should do so. And so the Lord is teaching us here, teaching benefactors, employers, and just us in general to be good neighbors, to love our neighbors, to, to do good to people. It's like it says of the Lord Jesus that He went about doing good. Everywhere he went, he was looking to do good. And if we can plan every day when we leave our home, plan, Lord, help me to do good. Help me to look for opportunities to help someone. Carry their groceries. Open the door to someone. You know, just somebody needs a couple dollars or a couple dollars short of the cash register. And you know, they have to go to their car and they don't have any more money. It's just amazing what just a little bit of help can encourage someone. I don't know if you've ever been in a line somewhere, but this has had happened a couple times, for instance, in the Tim Hortons line. Um, you pull up and give your order, and then you go to the window, and they say, the guy in front of you just paid for your, just paid for your order. And usually at this time of year, you'll find that that happens, and, and it might happen ten in a row. Now, obviously... If, uh, if you come to the window and say, how much is the order behind me and it's $40, well, um, the Lord can make up for that $40 because maybe the guy in front of you paid for your order and it was $9. But the point is that doing good, um, you, know, you hear that expression, do, a, do a, a good random act today or something, do a random act. Well, it's not a random act if you're walking with the Lord and you're seeking for opportunities. It's an act it's an opportunity that He puts in our way. And we need to see it that way, that the Lord has, has put that, that, that assaulted man in your way and He's saying, I want you to be the Good Samaritan. I want you to be the, 
kind neighbor. And so Proverbs is, is just full of, of verses that teach generosity, not just a good work ethic to pay our needs, to make you know, to buy our goods, but that like Paul says, steal no more, but labor, that you might not only be able to pay your bills, but that you might have to give to those that are in need. So a goal for people who can work is not only just to pay for their needs, pay their taxes and pay for their groceries and their clothing, but to have extra to be able to help someone who you find in need. And so you, know, you, you look for, you, you, you maybe set aside 1% of, of what you make. Look, this is going to be an account that I'll use to help people um, in need, whatever it might be. People just just uh, plan. It's good to plan for generosity and uh, just to be available when the Lord gives the opportunity. You know, the Lord prepares a prepared person. He'll, 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 he'll use a prepared person. And we need to pray, Lord, who can I help today? Who can I be an encouragement to? Is there someone I can I can I can be there that, that needs my help? There also are, are is it, there's a, a, a class of te- texts that talk about the waste of wealth, just like the one I mentioned earlier. But there are certain things that are obvious wastes of wealth, and there's just a whole category of things. For instance, immorality. The strange woman is warned several chapters in Proverbs. The adulterer and the adulteress. For instance, in chapter 5, uh, the man that commits adultery um, is warned that strangers are going to be filled with your wealth and your labor shall be in the house of a stranger. And then, he, then it seems to give evidence that he might get a disease where his flesh and his body are consumed. It helps you think about you know, uh, diseases that are caused because of immorality. So immorality is is a warning that it's it's a category that can, can cause your wealth to diminish. Um, chapter six, verse twenty six: the whorish woman brings a person to a piece of bread. I think it's again talking about how there are adulterers and adulteresses that will that will enter into illicit relationships in order to um, sap the wealth of people. And this has occurred you know, millions of times over the world where people have been, have been deceived and have been robbed by, you know, by lust and by, by those that are preying upon them, um, morally speaking. And that's a warning that can, cannot be uh, too often given in this day and age. Greed in Proverbs is a way in which we easily can lose our wealth. And it says in chapter 15, verse 27, He that is greedy of gain troubleth his own house, but he that hateth gifts shall live. And so, greed, though it seems like greed is a way to gain wealth, yet the Lord says, you're obviously, uh, whatever you, you sow, you'll reap. And you're shooting yourself in the foot if you're a greedy person. Loving pleasure, wine and oil, chapter 21 and 17, uh, is a way to lose wealth. 
Well, again, these are general statements. You can't just say, well, every time someone is greedy, he's going to lose his wealth. Or every time someone is immoral. Generally speaking, this is, this is a, 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 a teaching that is, is going to end up in, in loss. And the Lord obviously is behind him. He's not, he's not going to bless those that, that break his law and those who are greedy and lustful and deceitful. If you oppress the poor, chapter 22 and verse 6, you actually rob from the Lord. The borrower is servant to the lender, chapter 22 and verse 7. So he warns against improper uh, debts. Over and over again, you have warning not to give a handshake to a stranger, chapter 6, 1, 11, 15, 17, 18. 22.6 about strickening your hand with a stranger an old word for the handshake of a deal that you're making with someone you haven't fought ahead a person you really don't know the character of a person entering into a business relationship with someone that you don't know well and someone that is going to take advantage of you the Lord is saying be very careful before you enter into any any debt relationship, whether it be a bank or a person, you have to be very careful. And obviously, the best way to do things is by cash if you can. But if not, you're very careful to make sure that it's, it's a, you know that you read you read the, the small print, and you make sure that the interest is not high, and just all kinds of factors, and especially the kind of people that you're dealing with. The Bible warns against. Take, being taken advantage of. I remember a woman who knew an individual, but not well, and he begged and begged and begged her to, to uh, co-sign upon a car loan. And uh, she just, for a long time, she said, "No, no, I, I'm not very, you know, I'm not, I don't have a lot of money. I promise you, I'll pay you." Well, she finally gave in, and guess what happened? He reneged. And uh, you think the bank said, oh, you just, you're just a co-signer. I will let you go. But she told us, I think it was $15,000 that she ended up having to pay a little bit every month until it was paid off. So very, be very careful. Uh, even we say of parents with children about co-signing. Uh, we, we need, it, it, have we taught our children responsibility? We taught them fulfillment of, of their, you know, of, of their word. And so... Bad deals and indebtedness can set you behind for the rest of your life. Um, slothfulness is huge in Proverbs. There's many chapters uh, deal with sloth. Even sloth that's developed after you've had a, a, a good work ethic. So it's not just a, a slothful person from the get-go. People can develop into sloth. So the Lord warns us not only to, you know, to make sure from the very beginning, and that's why it's, it's wise for parents to give their children jobs, responsibilities. And so often you find that parents won't allow their children to do this or that because they could do it faster or better themselves rather than being patient. and Look, let them break something. Let them take five times as long to do something if it's not you know, upsetting your your. Uh, your homestead, but better to let them fail and, and, and learn rather than not learn at all. 
So you, you, we teach our children to be disciplined and, and uh, we teach them to be responsible. But even so, we can develop into sloths if we're not careful because we're in a sinful world full of sloths. And also, we have, we have the sin of sloth in our own bosom. And so every day we need to pray for a diligent spirit and a sense of, of accountability to God. One day we're going to give account of our works. We're going to be judged according to our works. Not just unbelievers are going to have um, degrees of punishment. Believers are going to have degrees of rewards according to how we labored since we were saved. So you have verses like um, someone who's slothful will, will come to, to poverty. It uses this terminology, this picture. Um, if you're a sloth, if you love sleep, poverty will come upon you as one that travels. It's a strange picture. And we think that it means that as, a, as someone who's traveling, he's moving along, he's walking. So... If it, a slothful person will have poverty catch up to him like someone walking. In other words, poverty is slowly catching up on you if you become a sloth. And that's why we get ahead of this, we get ahead of sloth. We don't allow sloth to impoverish us because you're not going to be able to do anything on, the back, on your back in bed. And the Bible gives us some kind of hilarious pictures of the sloth. He turns upon his bed. As a, as a door turns upon its hinges. Have you ever had a door that, that you know creaks and croaks as you open it? You've got to put some oil on it after a while. But sometimes we let that noise happen for a month before we put the oil on. I guess we've been slothful to, uh, to uh, fix the, the squeaky door or the squeaky wheel. But um, I remember when I used to take clients in the taxi cab back in the 90s, we would take a woman... I don't remember if it was a job, a workplace. She didn't have a car. And so she was able to use the, the service. But she would complain about her husband that was in bed till noon. And he'd be watching television until dinner time. He just wasn't getting a job. And he was just a sloth. And I think if I remember right, she said he wasn't like that when we were first married. <laughs> so you can become a sloth. And so it's something that we need to be warned about over and over again. It says, he, that becometh, he becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand, a lazy hand. Um, the slothful roasts not what he took in hunting. It's like, okay, I've done my work. He, he hunts he, and he, he gut the animal and then he just doesn't eat the meat. He just lets it rot. Well, Laura is teaching us that we need to finish the job, right? We need to fulfill our, our, our responsibility. But another kind of uh, comical picture is the, the sloth won't even bring his hand up from his, his soup. He's so lazy. It's just too much work even to bring his spoon up to his mouth. And I'm paraphrasing, but just interesting how uh, you had some comical comments that are meant to teach real serious lessons. The way of the transgressor is hard, it says in chapter 13 and verse 15. It's, it's like, if, again, if a person is transgressing, he's, he's, he's causing a maze in his life. He's caught, it's like someone that's trying to walk through 
pricker bushes instead of cutting through the bushes or going around the bush. The way of the transgressor makes his life hard on himself. And I think in that case it's talking about the moral punishment that God brings upon someone that has a life of wickedness. He's just causing, you know, he's just, he's just creating um, obstacles in his life by his deception, by his lust, by by uh, you know his unbelief, whatever he's just not. The Lord isn't paving the way for him. Uh, the Lord is the one that opens the way for us, and but the way of the transgressor is hard. And then it warns that the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. Uh, someone can be laboring all their life, but if they've lived a life of sin and they've forgotten God, that uh, what they have earned may indeed be by the Lord turned over to. Uh, to believers, to, to those in his kingdom. And the drunkard and the glutton shall come to poverty, we're told in several places in Proverbs. Just the neglect of work is huge. Give not sleep to thine eyes or slumber to your eyelids. The slothful shall always be under tribute. Chapter 12, verse 24. Twice it says, the, the slothful says, there's a lion outside. It's like he's making excuses for work. It's too cold might rain today. I might get struck by lightning. You know, somebody might be somebody might come into work with a shotgun. You know, he's just making excuses for why he shouldn't work. The slothful desires and has nothing. And the talk of the lips, as I quoted earlier, tends to poverty. Let's be people of action and not of people, just of talk. Talk is cheap, isn't it? And you have a, a section in Proverbs that teaches us to be careful that we enter into appropriate work, just or right work. The labor of the righteous tendeth to life, but the fruit of the wicked to sin. And you have to be careful that we're not entering into some um, line of work that is you know, contradictory to helping people. Um, it's, it's the way it is. I... Obviously, I'm not going to be a truck driver with marijuana in, 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 as, as a load. That's, that's an obvious, but you know, personally, I couldn't be a truck driver of, of uh, hard liquor. I, just, I could not, with a good conscience, do such a thing because I know that many people's lives are being destroyed. So I want to make sure I enter into a, a position that is, is actually conducive to helping my neighbor and promoting the glory of God. Be careful about bribery. A gift it can be given to pervert judgment. The warning is to judges and people who are in authority. Chapter 17, verse 23. And I want to close this afternoon by just giving us that, that familiar illustration of a good worker. What's the, what's the creature that God gives us that's a good illustration of the person with a good work ethic. Go to the ant, thou slugger. Chapter 6 and verse 6 and chapter 30 and verse 25. Proverbs, the proverb says that the ant has no guide, overseer, or ruler and yet gathers in, uh, works in summer and gathers in harvest. And in Proverbs 30 and verse 25 it says the ants prepare their their uh, meat in the summer. I have not looked 
very long on YouTube or, or, or in books that, that, that teach us about the, the work ethic of an ant. But it says here they have no guide, overseer, or ruler. I've never watched an ant colony and seen a big ant standing off to the side pointing to all the other ants in a certain direction. They're all seemingly taking you know, work um, in stride. They're all doing work. I'm, I'm sure there's got to be different kinds of workers. The proverb just seems to tell us they're all workers. There aren't any, you know, there aren't any bosses. There aren't any, um, what do you call the guys on your shift? There, there aren't any um, um, managers. There aren't, there aren't any, any uh, overseers, as he says. They're all doing work. And yet, they're, they're working together. They're a good example. The Lord made the ant to be such an example to us. So whenever you see an ant, don't step on it. Well, I guess it's in your house, but whenever you see an ant, think about being a good worker for the glory of God. We'll pick up, Lord willing, next week, but this is such a vast subject and so needful and practical. Even in retirement, we should be people that are working for the glory of God. There's always something to do for the kingdom. There's always something to do for the family. There's always something to do for for um, for neighbors. There's always something to do where we can be a help to someone. I know a man that um, he's a, he's a he's a, a carpenter, but he just he just fiddles around doing some work. But he made. He, he makes uh, those, what do they call them, where you, instead of trying to kick your boot off or throw your boot off, you put it in that little, that little uh, horseshoe. You put the, you, you put the, uh, um, what's the, bottom? the heel, thank you. I can probably hear someone downstairs trying to tell me what it is. But you put your heel in, you, you put your heel in that horseshoe and it's so, and you just flip your boot off. Well, I was in his house for something. He was purchasing. Uh, he also sells um, sealed weapons. But I was purchasing a weapon from him, and I saw a few of those in his garage. And I said, I, said, I was just naive. I said, "What are those for?" I'd never seen them before. And he says, "Oh, those are." I forgot what he called them. The, the, the boot taker offer. That's all I can say. But there's there's another name for it. But he said. I make a, I don't make a whole bunch of them. Give them away. He says, take one home. I mean, that's the kind of thing to do something like that, where you're just able to encourage somebody along the way. I just thought that was a very kind gesture. So I find that when you try to take your boots off and, and you don't have one of those boot taker offers, sometimes you hurt your knee, sometimes you hurt your ankle, sometimes you just fall down trying to take your boot off. But you have one of those on on hand and they're off in just one second. You have one of those? Well, we got to get you one of those, Josiah. But, well, it didn't work. Well, I guess it doesn't work so well when you have boots that have shoelaces. But, in any case, I trust that, that we were learning from the Lord that the Lord worked, He labored six days and rested the seventh and He's taught us to follow His example and resemble Him. May, may we never be accused of being a sloth, a slugger, trying to, to
to uh, live off other people. They may come or we may not be able to work. We want to make sure that we've labored to help those who can't. And one day may come when we are dependent. And uh, God help us to be faithful until then in serving Him. Jesus came into the world to work, to save, to labor, to minister, to serve. Lord Jesus, thank you for your example, and yet we know we could not die in the place of others to save them, but we can follow your example in going about doing good. We pray that you forgive us where we have sometimes walked on the other side of the road when we could have been of help, when we have ignored someone that is due our kindness and our generosity. Pray that we would be those who are observant. That we do not think upon our own things, but on the things of others. You said that we are to esteem others better than ourselves. To look not on our own things, but on the things of others. So please change us, Lord, to be more like you. Pray that we would remember that that work is a gift from you. And thank you that it was given to us. We can resemble you, that we can well, be good stewards of the creation that you've entrusted to us. And so help us all to be good examples, to, to be able to, to minister in our communities. The people will see that we indeed reflect the God who made the heavens and the earth and continues to control all things. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.